Everyone has a dream that fills their heart. A journey they must take. A destiny to fulfill. As close as your imagination exists a magical place where wondrous creatures with incredible powers help make dreams come true. It's the world of Pokemon. Welcome to Now Playing's Pokemon Retrospective Series. Prepare for more trouble than you've ever seen. And make it double, we're on the big screen. Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. Nuts of the game. Hosted by Arnie. So you're addicted to caffeine. I could stop whenever I want. These are just choices. Another round, extra shot. Black is nine, thank you, sweetie. Justin. Get me the hell out of here. And Stuart. To them, this is just one more challenge. They follow their hearts. That is what sets them apart and will make them Pokemon masters. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. This is what a Frenchman would call caliente fiesta. Listener discretion is advised. We're going to do this, you and me. Today we're discussing Pokemon 3, the movie. Starring Veronica Taylor, Ikue Otani, Rachel Lillis, Eric Stewart, Roger Parsons. Directed by Kuniko Yuyama. This is Arnie, part of Team Now Playing, ready to combat yet again. And Pika still! Pika still! It's fun to say it that way. I feel like lightning is shooting out of my ass. <laughs> and I'm starting to feel like a defeated Pokemon who needs to go back into my ball. This is Justin. Yeah, it's waning, isn't it? I mean, I still love it. Don't get me wrong. I love Pokemon 3, but the fad seems to be dying. We haven't talked too much about box office, but just to recap in the span, the movies have almost exponentially been shrinking in magnitude. The first movie was a phenomenon. It made $85 million in America and another $100 million internationally. They had something called Pokemon Flu, where kids were calling out sick the day it opened. Oh my god, I remember that now. Flash from the past. Right. And then the next year, not even 12 months later, from Thanksgiving at 98 to summer 1999, Pokemon 2000 does 40 million, half the business. They take a year off. Pokemon 3 lands in April 2001, IMAX, and it opens fourth. The Spy Kids kicked its ass. It made a total of 17 million. And it was the last one that Warner Brothers decided, hey, we're going to be in on this. The next Warner Brothers Pokemon distributed film will be Detective Pikachu. Right. And, you know, it makes sense because when you think about kid phenomenon, they don't last, right? They burn hot, and that's why you rush to have all the stuff come out at once because you know in three to four years, it's probably over. And given the fact that 96 is when the game came out in Japan, 98 in America, the fact that we're now in 2001, it makes sense that it would be time to say goodbye. Nope, don't worry. We still have two more animated films before we get to Detective Pikachu. (laughs) It is true a phenomenon because that TV show is still on. When I think about the TV shows from my childhood, Transformers went four or five years and then 
it came back, you know, different later. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles went, I think that went like six years, but then it went away for a long time and then it came back different again. Then went away and came back different again. <laughs> but Pokemon is constant. The animation style, I could turn on a new episode now or watch a season one episode and they're indistinguishable to me. Well, then you're not me because I've been watching them. You're saying that as someone that is theoretically going to turn them on. I'm someone that actually does turn them on to prepare for this show because I love it. But you know what? I don't love it as much as I used to. If your complaint about the first season was that it gave you epilepsy or it promoted Nazism or gun violence against children, getting banned from U.S. television, don't worry. The animators have totally flattened the characters and plugged them into very boring storylines. I've watched season three and season four now. I mean, spot check. I'm not watching all 50 episodes in a season. But because this movie came out in between those seasons and was chronicling this great adventure to Johto Dome or whatever the hell it is... <laughs> Do you know why Charizard retired? Yeah, again, all that stuff is first season stuff. Yes, I can give you all the dirt on where the people are and <laughs> this person that pops up for three seconds in the dinosaur realm in this movie. Yeah, I can tell you all about Lisa. Yes, I am keeping up for this show and it really does not feel like something that could sustain itself for 16, 17 more seasons. I'm shocked that it didn't take a break because I do think that that's a natural thing to do. The true phenomenons, they strike hot, they go away, and yeah, they come back reinvented. This thing feels like it's just too formula. And they've eliminated all the quirkiness, and they've marginalized some of my favorite Pokemon, so that you're always meeting the new creatures from the new games, and it's like, well, I just kind of want to focus on the five that I like. I wonder how much of this franchise is working on turnover. You know, like a brother may have been into it two years ago, got rid of all of his toys and the next brother picks them all up and discovers the cartoon. And you don't really need all the history to pick it up. Like we said, it's kind of the same thing week in, week out. It's just a matter of which Pokemons are fresh now. That's my feeling too, is I can't imagine there's anyone except perhaps one of those people we played the card game with who have seen all 17 seasons of Pokemon. Kids who come into it would just pick it up at where it's at. And since there's been no character development, they're missing nothing. Yeah, it's theoretically, they're heading to this place called Johto. I looked it up. They didn't get there in season three. They didn't get there in season four. I haven't gotten to season five, but apparently it takes 53 hours for them <laughs> to go to this contest and lose. <laughs> I, like, why aren't the movies about them getting to the big place and having the big battle and things can happen? Why are the movies kind of plugged in between and become these anonymous chapters that don't have any impact on the show? It seems seems weird to me how they've designed it, but it is a well-oiled machine every year, a new season, a new movie, and more or less a new game. I mean, they take years off, but they really are very good at generating this thing all the way up until 2019, but I'm getting fatigued. Well, you say they take a year off the game. Well, they kind of do. You've been over on TV land, but I've been here with my... Nintendo 3DS experiencing everything Pokemon. And I've been playing the latest Pokemon adventure games, which are surprisingly so close to the very first Pokemon games, they have not changed the formula a bit. 
I'm going to show my ignorance here because I did not realize Nintendo kept making a portable system. I thought Game Boy would naturally go away when people got smartphones and that all games would just kind of port over to your smartphone. Why would you buy a Nintendo DS? or a Nintendo Switch, but these things are super popular. Well, a millennial I work with found out I was doing this and gave me a bit of trivia I hadn't read anywhere else. But Pokemon saved the handheld gaming industry because as we mentioned when we talked about it in the first episode, the Game Boy was pretty much a Tetris machine and it had other games and people bought other games, but it was really losing its luster. Pokemon came around and gave it next life. They decided to do the color. They kept going and it was Pokemon that was really driving Nintendo to stay in the handheld market when Turbo Graphics and Sega, they kept trying and then they just fall by the wayside. Stuart, did you know that Nintendo refused to do any apps until about three years ago? No. So they've been actively fighting the idea that they have to move to mobile games. Exactly. And they just kept making Pokemon for them. What's good about a DS more than a Game Boy? Well, what I can say about the Switch, I don't own one yet, but I will own one this year because there's a Marvel series I love that's coming out with its third installment only for Switch. The nice thing about Switch is the exact same games on your television or on the go. Same graphic capabilities, everything. It's just a console that you can throw in a carrying case. The 3DS, I didn't buy one for that very reason. I'm like, I have an iPad, I have an iPhone, but there's something about a dedicated game system and the fact that it has a game store where for $4.99, I can get the original Legend of Zelda or for $59.99, I can get the latest Pokemon game. I'll say that the 3D is iffy. The graphics are pretty good on it. And when they say 3D, they're talking about like Doom. It's a 3D world, right? It's not actual, you're wearing glasses. Imagine this. The experience of wearing glasses without glasses. Huh. They can do that? Yeah. It's not bad. Okay. Yeah, that's all that I'm asking. I realize it's probably not going to be holographic, but it does look like there is a third dimension to your play. Yes. Okay. Not all the games support it, obviously, but several do. And it turns out, if for no other reason than to save my battery life on some things, I've been taking the DS with me everywhere I go and playing games on it instead of on the phone. And I picked up a ton of games for it. But what I've been playing mostly, to my wife's chagrin, we went to New York and back, and the whole time I'm playing Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the game is the same, right? You could go back to 96 and then the idea now and then set you're walking around a forest, finding bugs, and then fighting them with your friends. Here's the difference is there's a lot more conversation in the new one. There's a lot more characters. So like, for example, in Pokemon Ultra Sun, which was one of the new ones I played, you're basically in Hawaii. They call it Alola, but they say Alola instead of Aloha. Very creative. It's a bunch of islands and there are Polynesians on it and you go there and you're a kid trying to become a Pokemon trainer, but there's side quests now. There's like, you have to learn to surf on the back of this Manta Ray looking Pokemon, but I was surprised that the combat is still turn-based. I thought for sure that would be an outmoded concept that kids today would not tolerate. But no, it is still turn-based combat. You still have the same moves. You just have new Pokemon and they've introduced Pokemon breeding. It gets weird, isn't it? I 
wasn't quite sure what they meant by that, but literally there are male and female Pokemon and you can take two of them of the same species to a Poke Center and drop them off so they can do the nasty and you come and get their offspring. <laughs> yeah, Brock is a Pokemon breeder. I've never seen him at work. What's really frightening, there's a creature called a Ditto that can breed with anything. <laughs> so if you have a hey. Ditto, <laughs> certain species are genderless. So you have to have a Ditto and then you can breed them. It gets really perplexing. Yeah, particularly since they evolve. I assume that a lot of asexual production was happening in this whole thing, but apparently not. Wow. And you can crossbreed if they have the same egg type. Huh. Pokemon husbandry. Who thought? And really, there's two parts to the game. Every game, including the old ones. There's the beat the trainers, which you can do. And then there's just the collect all the Pokemon, which is the real goal, you know? So I beat a lot of trainers, but I still had only gotten maybe 15% of the Pokemon. Another thing that they added to the main games here, you can actually team up with a friend and have co-op multiplayer. So you could be going around fighting Pokemon, a friend can join in, and then he can help you capture them. If you fight a Pokemon, it's you and your friend against this Pokemon, so you're ganging up on them. That would also happen in the anime. There are tag team gym matches. Are they doing the double dip trick still where there's two different issues every time they release it and you either have to buy it twice or find someone that bought the other one and get them? Oh, yeah. Ultra Sun had Ultra Moon. Okay. It is how they do it. And in fact, there have been seven generations of Pokemon games. They just announced last week Generation 8. I did pick up the latest one called Let's Go Pikachu, which had the partner Let's Go Eevee which is a remake of Pokemon Yellow, but it integrates with Pokemon Go in that once you capture Pokemon in this Let's Go Pikachu, you can then transfer them to your Pokemon Go character, and it's the only way to get certain Pokemon that you'll never find in the real world. Oh. Yeah, I don't know anything about Pokemon Go, but that will be one of the games we profile in a few weeks. Yeah, I'm kind of excited to get back into that game. It's been a few years since I played Pokemon Go, but all this Pokemon talk has got me kind of chomping at the bit to hop back in. It sounds like maybe the only upgrade that has been more successful in some people's eyes than what they started with on Game Boy. And then they did just announce late this year, just in time for the holidays, the eighth generation of Pokemon games, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield. I guess it's taking place in like medieval times, maybe the restaurant, maybe the time period. I'm not quite sure. And are these all for the handheld system? They don't make any Pokemon game that you could just play on a regular system or on the computer, it sounds like. The main gen only went to console, if you call it that, with the new Nintendo Switch, which is a hybrid. Okay. It's a console you can dock, but then you can also pick up and take with you. Yeah, it sounds like that has always been a component that they've wanted it to be this portable device. You could go out into the world that was built into the fantasy of the game. But... While those games really haven't evolved, the Pokemon themselves have, the games, they're just more chatty. They honestly remind me of Leisure Suit Larry, because you go up to somebody, you talk, and then you just go out and you fight Pokemon, and then you find somebody else and you talk again. But 
I suppose that could be King's Quest or anything else. I mean, there's no yeah. condoms and... Yeah, so. I, you, you like Leisure Suit Larry more than any of the other Sierra games. <laughs> but I don't think that it's too much like Leisure Suit Larry. There's still little pocket monsters, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, going over this series has given me retrospective knowledge that I've just had to kind of correct over these years. Because I've been waiting for you to talk about a certain game in this series, Arnie. And then I decided to look it up and just find out when we might be talking about it. Come to find out it's not even Pokemon related. <laughs> Have you ever heard of the game Pikmin or Pikmin? Yes! It was a GameCube game where you went around and like picked these little creatures out of the ground or whatever. Yeah. I always thought that was Pokemon related. It has nothing to do with it. Or maybe it does in that it was a ripoff, right? I mean, if, it, if you thought it was from there, they probably wanted you to think it was from there. I mean, that was somebody tweaking it to copyright infringe and hope Pokemon fans think that it's just as cool. Well, I fell for it if that was the plan. All these years, I thought it was a Pokemon thing. There are other types of Pokemon games that are not the core Pokemon. They have made kind of like how Super Mario Brothers always had the Mario Brothers games and Mario World and all that, mm -hmm. but then you'd end up with Super Smash Brothers and Dr. Mario. Well, Pokemon went that same route where there are Pokemon games that are nothing like the Pokemon formula. Oh, that's always risky. And I guess in order to be the second biggest selling video game franchise, they would have to do that. If they're going to chase Mario... That's what they'd have to do. Now, I've played a handful of these, and I can't say I've played them all. I did some research. I played the ones that were readily available and not costing a ton of money. One that I have played, but not for this, Super Smash Brothers, which you guys know, we've talked about it. It's the Mortal Kombat of Nintendo games. It's like Marvel versus Capcom, only it's Nintendo characters versus Nintendo characters. Best-selling fighting game of all time. Well, Pikachu, Jigglypuff, Mewtwo, and others have shown up in Super Smash Brothers games. Personally, I would love to play Jigglypuff and fight <laughs> like Mario or Donkey Kong. <laughs> that is sometimes the the appeal of those games is to play something that's very ironically fighting. Like, you just can't imagine them having a aggressive side. You know, I've played that game a few times, and it is strangely addictive. Part of it is, yes, that you can pull these characters from all these different lores and stuff, but the levels are more clever than a lot of your standard fighting games, and the things you can do are more fun. It's one of those games that I, makes me kind of wish I had a, a Nintendo to play it on now. Then... Starting with the Game Boy Color, there was the Pokemon trading card game, which is also now available for iOS. I downloaded it on my iPad, but I played the Game Boy Color one. It is literally the trading card game that you and I played, Stuart, mm -hmm. where you get a deck of cards and you wander around like you do in Pokemon the game, but instead of finding people who you have Pokemon battles with, you find people who you play trading cards with. Mm. Weird. And it was a good tutorial for the trading card game. The problem was on the Game Boy Color, the graphics were so crappy that I felt like you, Stuart. I'm like, what power does he need? I'm throwing water at him. I'm throwing leaves at them. I'm like, when will you attack? I couldn't figure out what they needed with these utter crap graphics. It sounds like, yeah, something that didn't need to happen. Like someone's bad idea of making a game out of everything. The trading card game is strong. If I had more time and money, I could imagine putting 
putting it towards that and having a good time eventually <laughs> once I could actually win matches. I get it as a conception and I think it would be a fun game, but why make that a video game? Just keep it with the cards. I think it's a good way to practice. Okay, you might be right. Yeah, practice is, I think, where you leave it at because there's a disconnect there. I mean, video games are one thing, but the allure of a card game or a tabletop game is physically having them. I mean, even if you never play with your Pokemon deck anymore, you still have them and you can look through them and reminisce. Like, are you going to flip through your phone one day and be like, oh, I remember when I downloaded this card? Well, I think some people the answer is yes, because there are trading card games like from Tops, the trading card company, like the Star Wars trading card game, where you literally buy digital cards and if you're lucky you get this rare digital card and people can go on ebay and sell those digital cards for hundreds of dollars and i don't get it i'm too old my collection needs to be tangible if i am paying for it <laughs> but people do that all right. This world, yeah, it is definitely going up into the cloud, and I'm just not ready. We're just a step away from that movie Surrogates, where we just don't even leave the house. But they did make it a game. You're not just playing the trading card game. It's just like Pokemon, where you have to go to training centers and beat better and better people, and so it feels like you're becoming a champion. So they have that. Then there was one that was dumb fun called Pokemon Rumble. In this one, you know, the trading card game's in a different universe because Pokemon are cards. And in the Pokemon universe, Pokemon are animals. Well, in Pokemon Rumble, so that you're not killing Pokemon, we're in a world where Pokemon are toys, quote unquote. Okay, yeah. This is a dungeon crawl game mm. where you just go in and kill, kill, kill. The best thing I could equate it to that you've probably played, Stuart, to go back to 8-bit days mm -hmm. is you remember Contra, where you just run and you're killing everything you find, and then you find a big thing and you kill it, and then you just keep running? Your Pokemon killing other Pokemon? That's why they're toys. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is subversive. <laughs> but it's not 2D side-scrolling. It's a top-down, three-dimensional thing. And you go through levels where you kill tons of Pokemon and then find giant Pokemon and kill them. And you level up. I mean, you still have the Pokemon powers, your fire Pokemon. Your Charmander is still going to shoot fire in order to kill these other Pokemon and then level up. But you're also collecting other Pokemon. So you're picking up the desiccated corpses of some of them and adding them to your collection. <laughs> I can kind of see where they're coming from there. I mean, there's an inherent hierarchy amongst Pokemon already. So, you know, in video games, you progressively go up against tougher opponents. So I guess I can kind of see the connection there. It's nowhere near as strategy based. It is a sheer button masher, but it's extremely successful. They've made them on various platforms. I played the first one, but they just came out with like number four for the Switch. The one I liked best, though, and take it for what you will, was called Pokemon Puzzle Challenge. And this was the least Pokemon game of all the Pokemon games. What is it like, Tetris? Sudoku. Oh. Wow. Imagine like Sudoku or Minesweeper, only with Pokemon. <laughs> what it is, is it literally is a numbers-based thing. You have a 10 by 10 grid, and it tells you horizontally how many boxes need to be filled in and vertically how many boxes need to be filled in. And when you fill them in, it's supposed to make like an 8-bit 
pixel graphic of something Pokemon, but it really always just looks like a Rorschach blot to me because mm-hmm. it's only 10 by 10 grid. I kind of love those, though. Whenever you see unsuccessful renderings of things from reality, <laughs> that's my idea of art. And then the Pokemon you collect along the way can help you. Like, one Pokemon can say, these rows are good starting places, and one Pokemon will just randomly reveal a row to you. And I love logic puzzles. My brain works that way. I actually got an 800 on the GRE for this exact kind of puzzle. And so it was just so fun for me to be like, okay, there's eight blocks I have to color in here. And now how do I do that? And just going looping through it time and again until I got it. I just played through like 12 of them and I was getting them all in under three, four minutes. It was actually the game that best appealed to my sense of puzzle solving. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like they're trying to find, for people that don't like the main game, yeah, get the people that like puzzle games, get the people that like side-scrolling games. It doesn't sound like any of them took off in the same way, though. Not in the same way, but again, the brawl, that one was a big hit. The trading card game keeps going. Mm. But these all are ancillary compared to the core generations. Right. Except for perhaps Detective Pikachu, the last spinoff game. But we're going to be talking about that one in a few weeks. Yeah. Pokemon also has another milestone going on. I like to talk about things that are unusual that not every franchise can celebrate and that Pokemon has. The same year Pokemon 3 comes out in the U.S., Pikachu is floating down New York streets in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And that's kind of amazing because he is only the third video game character ever to do that. Want to guess who the other two are? Mario? No. Donkey Kong? No. Pac-Man? Wario? No! I I know. that You hit all the ones that I did. I'm like, come on, someone did Pac-Man. Pac-Man went to the Rose Bowl, not Macy's, Sonic the Hedgehog, and the Angry Birds. And there's only like 14 of these things in a parade. He's been in it every year since 2000, representing Pokemon for all of that time. Sonic got retired because apparently he hit a cop and broke his arm or something. <laughs> But he came back. I know that both of those things are things we're going to be dealing with this year. They have their own movies coming in theaters, Sonic and Angry Birds 2. I'm sure their balloons will be coming down New York streets as well. (laughs) Yes, Angry Birds is the other franchise that just won't die. At any rate, Arnie, why don't we talk about Pokemon 3 since that's what we're here to do. All right. Well, again, the Pokemon movie itself was so short that if you went to theaters, you got a 20-minute pre-cartoon. It reminds me of, I remember when I was a kid, like 12, and I'd be running late to the movies, and my mom's like, oh, it's okay, you've got the trailers and the cartoon. I'm like, what movies do you think I'm seeing that there's a cartoon before it? And yet here in the Pokemon world, I could be 20 minutes late and still, well, probably still be watching trailers the way AMC does it, but I could watch Pikachu and Pichu. And no, I do not have allergies. I was going to offer you a Kleenex right there. (laughs) I'm starting to sense a pattern with these add-on movies. It's still Pokemon, but we're focused on the Pokemon, and we don't really see the kids and the human characters all that much. And when we do, they're cropped out of the frame for the most part. We're not seeing their faces. They're not the characters that we're meant to follow in these. Yeah, it reminds me a little of Peanuts, the way that they would marginalize the adults or Muppet Babies. You know, like we're just going to focus on these characters 
They're not the pawns of Ash and Brock and Misty. They have their own lives and own adventures, and they they have terrible parenting. Parenting as it used to be. I love that this cartoon starts with like, okay, you guys usually beat the crap out of each other. We're going to leave you on top of a roof for eight <laughs> hours. See ya. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong with that. Keep in mind, these critters never get together and party. Anytime they're seeing each other, it is to kill. No, but all of Ash's Pokemon hang out. I mean, don't you remember at the beginning of Pokemon 2 when they were on the boat and they're like, okay, let's let all the Pokemon free so they can go swimming together. Yeah, but Misty and Brock's, I get maybe all the ones in Brock's Pokeball are cool, but I just don't think it's a good idea. I Again, and I'm not even a parent, but to leave all of these fighting monsters on top of a roof in the city they've never been to for eight hours, they're lucky the worst thing that happens is that Pikachu gets lost. Either way, it, it introduces a conundrum, Stuart, because if they're not naturally things that find each other and fight, then that means these kids, humans, are finding them and forcing them to fight. It's almost like a dog fighting ring at that point. Mm, we'll talk about that. That is going to be one of the controversies we discuss, but not this time. What we'll discuss this time is the whole concept of evolution, because what Pikachu is going to meet is something called Pichu, the Pichu brothers. And you may not realize it from this short, but they are less evolved versions of him. They kind of just look like the city mouse version to his country mouse, but they in fact will grow up to be identical to Pikachu. I got that, but I've been playing the games. I've been evolving Pichu into Pikachu. Okay. Oh, nice. I did notice the similarities. So that means we've seen the less evolved version and the more evolved version. One of the other shorts had that even stronger version of Pikachu that we saw. It's Raichu. Remember Raichu? Uh, yep, yep. So we're starting to see some of these evolutions. Do we ever get to see them evolve from one form to another? Well, let, we'll talk about that. I do really want to talk about the concept of evolution because in these movies, this is all we get. Pichu Brothers, and again, you could miss the fact that there's a relationship here, but in fact, it is one of the things that makes Pokemon controversial to some. Ooh. But here in this little short, I don't think there's anything controversial. I was thinking about it, and it really defies criticism. It is merely a series of gags that remind me a lot of Tom and Jerry as Pichu and Pikachu are running from a dog. It does have a Looney Tunes quality, and this is Warner Brothers. I kind of would expect it. I wish it had more. It's like pop a codeine and watch a Looney Tunes. Like there's just something more tranquil about the whole anime style. You know what I mean? There's just something calming and like it just never gets too crazy. With the Looney Tunes and Tex Avery, they can really make you hyper. They can just work you up into a lather. These, I just, they never want to get you too upset. I guess this is where I'll come to my confession point then is because I've discovered that I may have accidentally conditioned myself to fall asleep while watching anime <laughs> and it all started at comic-con because at comic-con they have a room set up where you can just go sit there and it's nice and air-conditioned and dark and they're just showing all kinds of different anime it's a great place to go take like a 20-minute snooze in the middle of the day well i think that screwed me up because every time i sit down to watch pokemon i end up having to rewind because i found myself dozing out quite a bit so yeah can i suggest you just watch with your shoes on <laughs> way inside joke all right <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted it to be more comedic, more slapstick. This one, more than any other of the shorts, was giving me more of that. I do feel like this might be the best of the three that we've seen. 
as far as the ones that were geared towards just the Pokemon? So far, Pikachu's vacation with the vitamin C song is still the one I go back to. <laughs> because it had vitamin C. <laughs> I hold on to these things that I can, yes, I like a pop singer that sang in the background. Now understand, I liked the song before I knew it was vitamin C. And the Pokemon dancing around to this vacation song, I didn't care who sang it. It was just cute. This one, at the beginning of it, I found myself really having trouble paying attention, but then realizing I don't need to pay attention because that's not what this is. This was a series of gags and just it's intended for the youngest of children with the shortest of attention spans who could wander around and then look up and see something happening basically unrelated in it's like a rube goldberg machine in that they'll land and meoweth will fly off of he got a job as a window cleaner for just this i guess <laughs> but they just needed a bit with him falling off a window washer i don't know why they needed him in there i guess they can't have a short where he doesn't have a farcical moment. The pacing is strange here, though. It just feels stretched out. And it's like, it feels like they're trying to fill up 20 minutes for some unknown reason. Like, are these sub maybe supposed to be half-hour TV shows with commercial breaks built in? No, Justin, the unknown reason is in the main movie. This no. is... Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Hold the K, please. But, I mean, like, really, it's a movie before a movie, so there's no reason why it couldn't just tell its story and be a nice, brisk 10 minutes. But everything feels stretched out an extra 30 seconds to a minute and a half for no good reason. I feel like there should either be a moral or there should be more laughs. Yes, it just should be what you say, Arnie. Nonstop stimulus, Pokemon flying at your face for 20 minutes, and enjoy the ride. Or, again, there is the old fable about the country mouse and the city mouse. I thought this had some relevance of like, okay, Pikachu's now in the big city with a family member. What's that going to be? You know, country mouse, city mouse, they learn that they like their worlds and they're happy to visit, but they want to go back to the world that they know. It seems like these things never reach to a point. I never get a lesson. The lesson here was A, teamwork, and mm. B, put aside your differences and you help your fellow man even if it's somebody who has tried to wrong you because the dog was chasing them for most of the sketch and then dog lived in some leaning tower of tires. It's like they suddenly found like Soho or something like the New York <laughs> art scene is like happening in this one alley where they've made artistic piles of tires. It was a bohunk playground. It was awesome. <laughs> And the dog lived at the top of the tire pile in this doghouse, but their shenanigans knock down the tires and the dog doesn't want to lose his home. And so Pikachu and Pichu and every other Pokemon in the neighborhood, none of whom are ashes because everybody else stayed on the roof. Right. So it's not like Charmander or Psyduck or anyone showed up from that crew, but just random city Pokemon came to help this dog save his house and rebuild his tire pile. That's kind of a prickly point with me because it's so disingenuous. Like Pokemon is not about collaboration. It's not about working together. It's about kicking your ass. 
but it's about working together to kick your ass. Is there a collaborative? I carry six Pokemon with me and all six Pokemon. I have this guy go, then this guy go, then this guy go. They're working, you know, together to kick the ass of the Pokemon attacking me. I mean, there's a strategic idea behind who you put forward at any given moment, but at no point are you trying to make friends or build a pile of tires with the thing that you're fighting. They do that because they know that kids copy what they see on screen. And if you take a bunch of hyper kids and give them sugar soda and have them watch things beat on each other, that's what it's going to be like in the parking lot. And so they have this calming... I think you're right. I mean, this would be nice to fall asleep to, but is that the right instinct? I feel like they should try to be more funny or to reach more of a point. I agree completely. This one was amiable, but pointless. And when it was over, I did find it touching. The final note, it turned out it was the anniversary of the day that Pikachu and Ash got together for the first time. And the reason that all the Pokemon were left on the roof is Ash was planning a surprise party for the day he and Pikachu became friends. And having watched that first episode where Pikachu did not like Ash, I found that a nice little thing. Yeah, cake and trucker hats for everyone, except for the <laughs> Pichu brothers. Like, if you have these new characters that are like Pikachu, and if you've been hanging out all day, would you really, like, slam the door in their face? No cake for you. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe wonder, why did we set up the Pichu brothers? Are they in the games? Did they become a big part of the show? I look this up. I see that they're going to appear in a couple more little comedic shorts, but no, they will not have any ongoing relationship with Pikachu. This is it. But they are in the games. If you catch a Pichu, you can turn them into a Pikachu. And because of the cartoons, everybody wants a Pikachu. When We'll talk about Pokemon Go in a couple weeks, but when that came out, everybody was like, I need a Pikachu! Why? Well, because it was the icon, you know? It's like when I was playing Super Mario with friends, you'd flip a coin, the loser got Luigi. Everybody wanted to be Mario, everybody wants to have a Pikachu, and so you get a Pichu and you can at least work that way. I liked the style of not showing the human heads. I like that these are silent shorts. They make them feel very different than the movies we're watching, but I don't feel like I need them. No, and let's just get to it because we, we touched on it a lot and I've been wanting to talk about this particular pokey controversy ever since I found out about it. But once I played that card game, and certainly, Arnie, it sounds like from the video games, a big part of this whole thing that the movies don't go into much is that you start out as small and precious and sweet, but you become large, ferocious, and powerful. And that growth spurt is not called a metamorphosis. It's not aging. It's not growing up and maturing baby into child into adult. They use the word evolve. And maybe this is just a mistranslation that has caused them so much trouble, but that word has really brought the wrath of many religious groups onto Pokemon. So far, I haven't seen any evolution in the movies, but if you watch the show, it happens all the time. Have we seen it? Absolutely. By the second episode, we saw Caterpie become a Metapod, become a Butterfree, which doesn't feel like evolution in the Darwinian sense because that's just the life cycle of a butterfly. That, right, that's Chrysalis. <laughs> what's the controversy there? By episode 10, he meets Charmander, who's going to be in this one as Charizard. 
it took a while. It took about 33 episodes for Charmander to become Charbelian, to become Charizard. But in doing that, the way that they depicted it in the show was the more he used his fire-breathing power, the more confident he got. It was a skill set. You know, when you play the card game, you have to pull that card from your deck and then you have to place it. That's how it works. I imagine in the game you evolve similarly. It's like Dungeons and Dragons. When you fight with characters, you get XP. The more XP you get, the more you level up your powers. And when you level up certain points, they just evolve on their own. So it sounds like the cartoon did a very natural way of doing it. In Pokemon Go, you have to feed them berries and you have to give them special fairy dust and crap. Okay. So if you treat them well, again, it's just like growth. You will grow into being an adult if you treat them right. This is not Darwinian evolution. This is not anything to freak out about. If you were a creationist, yes, they use that word, but they're not teaching kids evolution. What's the controversy? I didn't get it until I saw episode 51. Bulbazar's Mysterious Garden. That sounds like a story in a penthouse letters. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than that. It is my favorite Pokemon episode. It involves my favorite dude. I'm just going to come out and say, I love Bulbazar. He is my dude. I don't know if you know who he is. He basically, to me, looks like a stegosaurus, except instead of having spikes on his back, he has like an onion. He has this <laughs> flower bulb on his back. I thought it was lettuce, but yeah, I like Bulbazar too. He's Bulbazar is awesome and he will take you in this episode to what looks like has been characterized by fundamentalist christians as a satanic rite we will see evolution <laughs> is going into the forest with people in robes chanting and being scary <laughs> it's not evolution it is like an exorcism <laughs> and what's awesome why i love this dude is he's like no i'm not doing this and you got the big like shaman guy being like venusaur like, he's trying to, like, you need to be a Venusaur. He's like, Baba, Venusaur, Baba. And it's like they're back and forth. It is so much like my relationship with my dog when I walk my dog that it's become our end joke. Like, she'll be pulling me to the right, and I'm going to be like, Venusaur. <laughs> I love Bulbasaur. It is the most like a pug to me of all of the Pokemon. That is so funny. I started calling my friend she a Bulbasaur. <laughs> Yeah, he's my dude. I love Bulbasaur. And this episode, it is, maybe I've overplayed it, but I literally laughed out loud. I thought it was very enjoyable to watch this kooky right and see this little Bulbasaur refuse to grow up. They can do that. They can actually say, I don't want to be bigger. I'm happy to be where I am. But to many people, I think it's the same people that are threatened by Harry Potter. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. People who think, oh, witchcraft, you're teaching them to be satanic. Yeah, new yeah. age, satanic. It definitely definitely doesn't look like a religious ceremony or at least like a Christian ceremony. It feels like kids are going to learn something and probably going to emulate something. No doubt kids that saw that episode, it's, it's like five minutes of Bulba, Ivy, Bulba, Venus. I mean, they do that a, a long time. The kids would have acted that out and I'm sure that alarmed some. And that is, I'm convinced, that is the reason why there have been so many protests and letters written and so many Christian groups trying to say that Pokemon is anti-Christian. I don't think that it is, but I do think that that 
episode scares people. <laughs> well, do you have any correlation between the airing of that episode and the protests? Because I would think just the fact that it uses the word evolution, plus the fact that the games were so friggin' popular, would just be enough that it would get somebody's attention. And even if they don't believe it, it would get them on CNN. Sure. You know, you can pile onto Pokemon lots of different things. Whatever ill you see going on in the world, you can probably see it as the source if you want. Surprisingly enough, the Catholic Church came out in support of it. I would not have guessed this, but they have their own network that broadcasts from the Vatican. And when people were coming to them and saying, this Pokemon is idolatry and the kids are playing with cards and what have you, they ended up saying that it promotes creativity and friendship and that they weren't going to have a problem with it until we get to Pokemon Go. When we get to Pokemon Go, when we talk about the game, there are some controversies involving the Catholic Church, and they have a very funny response to Pokemon that uh, I'll, I'll share then. Was the Vatican a Pokestop? <laughs> no. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's an interesting... There were churches that got mixed up into that, and they did try to. Oh, don't get me wrong. I sat in a number of church parking lots. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, there's another controversy for you in Pokemon. Maybe not as dramatic as epilepsy, but nevertheless, part of the story. Speaking of the story, Arnie, go ahead. Give him the plot to Pokemon 3. In the town of Greenfield lives Professor Spencer Hale, a researcher looking into mythical, unseen Pokemon, including one called an Entai and one called the Unknown. Unknown, not unknown. <laughs> No K for some reason. Yes. It's like, I own this. Now I unown this. <laughs> they have 28 letters in their alphabet and none of them a K. <laughs> Except for Pokemon. Professor Hale is the only caretaker of his daughter, Molly. While on expedition, Hale finds the unknown, but he is teleported away by them. Molly, now parentless, is distraught, but her tears land upon some unknown runes her father had, and the unknown appear ready to grant any wish Molly has, and they turn Molly's mansion into a seemingly impenetrable crystal palace. And then Molly wishes for her father back, and as she remembered her father pretending to be an Entai, the Unknown have an Entai appear who can speak English and become the girl's father. Now that's all in the prologue. Mm. Then we finally get the credits. <laughs> Luckily, Ash and his friends Misty and Brock just happen to be in the neighborhood with their arsenal of Pokemon. They were followed by Team Rocket as always, and by another coincidence, Ash's mother Delia and Pokemon Professor Oak came because they saw the Crystal Palace on the news and Delia knew Professor Hale and Molly. Molly's next wish is for a mother, so the Entai kidnaps Delia and brainwashes her into forgetting her real son Ash and believing she is Molly's mother. The three stay in the Crystal Castle as a happy family. But Ash wants his mom back, so along with Brock and Misty, they infiltrate the castle, not knowing they're followed this whole time by Team Rocket. Molly wishes herself to be an adult Pokemon trainer and goes to meet the three children, and she bests Brock, Misty, and even Ash in combat, knocking Ash and Pikachu off a cliff. But they're saved by... Ash's Charizard, who came out of retirement. It looked like he was in, like, the Flintstones in a stone house with his wife Charizard <laughs> and watching television. <laughs> so now it's actually more like an episode of Dinosaurs on ABC. Her name is Charla, Char and he's her bodyguard. <laughs> Don't make it weird, Arnie. <laughs> 
but he saw Ash on the news and came out of retirement and flew to the Crystal Castle, arriving just in time to save Ash, and the Charizard combats the Entai, but loses. And the Entai is about to kill Charizard when Molly wishes for an end to the fighting. Molly returns to being herself, Delia has her memory restored, and the group try to leave. But the unknown go on the attack for some unknown reason. They try to trap everyone in the building, and Charizard and Entai team up to break the shield, but Entai sacrifices himself in the process, or he can't go out on his own, or... It's a little confusing here at the end. Mm. Yeah, they wanted excitement, but they didn't want cohesiveness. Mm-hmm. But the Entai and the Unknown disappear, and Molly's house goes back to normal as credits roll. And we see, stupefyingly, with no explanation, Molly's father came back and brought her mother, who I was pretty sure was dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome back to reality. Here's your zombie mom. <laughs> Here's what I take away from this movie. I could live my entire life and never have to hear the name Molly again. I would die a happy man. Not recommend. <laughs> thank you. Good night. <laughs> well, I will say this. You bring up my first point about this. This is the first Pokemon that doesn't feel like it's about Ash at all. Like he's in there. They stick him in. He finds a way. But more than anything, it feels like Molly's story. And yeah, who is Molly? A lot of time is given to this poor little orphan girl. Well, I would argue that I felt like none of these are Ash's story. And it really hit me when you were saying, why aren't these movies Ash at the tournament? That would be Ash's story. All of these are Ash stumbling upon somebody else's story and just being the hero that happens to be needed at that point at that time with no rhyme or reason as to why he's there. I mean, in the last movie, he was the literal chosen one who just happened to show up on the island. In the one before that, Mewtwo did ensnare him, but it all felt like Mewtwo's story more than Ash's story because Ash has no character arc. Ash does not evolve. But the other people in the story actually have arcs and stories. And so it makes Ash the least interesting character in every Pokemon movie. Yeah, but what I would say, and I agree with everything you just said, at least in the previous two movies, I felt that when he did show up and become a part of someone else's story, he actively did something. Here, I struggle to even say why he's necessary. I don't think he literally does anything to change any of the events in the story. This is about a little girl who needs to come to terms with the fact that she's an orphan until she finds out she's not. Well, we'll talk through this, and I do think Ash causes change in Molly. But yes, we have this opening, and it's when I realize, actually, during this opening, where we have this prolonged prologue of Molly and her father, the professor, talking about these Pokemon that had never been seen, and I immediately hit pause, and I'm like, I know every Pokemon movie is here to introduce new Pokemon, and yes, Entai and Unknown were added to the card games and to the video games, and there were others, I think some of the ones the Unknown create later on, Falafi and Fanfi and Mantine, all of those are having their animation debut in this film. And I don't know whether they were represented or not, but I did know a trick to get people to pay a ticket and go to the movie theater is they would hand out new Pokemon cards. I'm willing to bet these characters were those cards. So are you talking about the ones Molly used that they keep calling fake Pokemon? Yeah. 
those actually are then now in the Pokemon legend. I can't imagine them making a Pokemon and then never using it. I didn't look up every single one as there were about a dozen that were introduced here, but my spot checking showed every single one to be in the Pokedex. Interesting. I was just thinking about that as a kid. If I was nine years old and the movie kept telling me that these were fake, made up, imaginary Pokemon, then I as a kid and a collector don't need to worry about them. But since I saw them battle, I, as a child and collector, would immediately need them. Mm, Yeah, (laughs) I I think you would want them. And I think you may, again, be holding them in your hand if you had paid a ticket price and gotten those Pokemon cards. This is always going to work partly as a commercial for the game. But this whole beginning when they're talking about the mythical Pokemon, I'm like, well, we kind of did this already with the Mew, right? The Mew was this mythical Pokemon that they didn't know they could never see or anything like that. Well, and so were all those birds in the last one as well. I do think they're really hung up on legendary. Like, that's what makes it a movie is that there's some legendary Pokemon in this movie, which you don't get week by week in the show. I will say this. Each Pokemon has a framework that feels slightly different to me. The first movie felt like it was based in Jurassic Park because it was about that genetic manipulation and a tropical storm. The second movie was totally Godzilla. This one, it reminds me, I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of Miyazaki, but it reminds me of some of his more sweet stories like Kiki's Delivery Service. He does these sweet fables in which little girls specifically have kind of gentle adventures. Again, I think of taking a Samanex and relaxing. They're not (laughs) action-packed. They're just kind of these lyrical, Eurocentric. This has got full of windmills, like we're in Holland or something like that. It never feels like we're in Japan, but I think that's just some of the Anglo fetishism we see in all anime. But it felt like something familiar, but something that they haven't done yet when I'm seeing this story of Molly. See, what I was thinking, her father seemed like Indiana Jones, this professor who had this book that suddenly was in a temple and activating magic stuff. This wasn't really set up. (laughs) Yeah, that really rolled off of me. I didn't even like, I don't know where that city was. Like, if it's an archaeological dig, they've done a spectacular job. (laughs) It's the size of Cairo. (laughs) I'm just happy that we're off of islands this time. You know, we're finally back on land for the most part. We're not dealing with this unknown island out in the middle of nowhere or whatnot, or even an inhabited island. We're, We're going to a place that is legendary for its beauty and stuff like that. And that, to me, visually, it's a nice change of pace from the other ones. Like, especially when we started getting into the crystallized castle and stuff, it started to take on almost like a filmation He-Man type of vibe in places. I'll agree. I thought the animation actually got an uptick here. For sure. When I saw the sunflowers, when we're first introduced to the city, I'm like, those sunflowers actually look kind of like Van Gogh's famous sunflower painting. It looked painted versus cel-shaded. And then when the unknown show up, they're quite obviously 3D rendered CGI. They look alien in this two-dimensional flash animation world because of that. And all things considered, of the three we've reviewed so far, this one had the most cinematic animation style while still being true to Pokemon and not just being so totally foreign to people who have watched the previous movies or the show. Yeah, again, my reference is Miyazaki. It felt like it wasn't quite on that level, but it did have a hand-drawn preciousness that the previous ones did not. There was something about it that felt more artistic, and I appreciate that. And again, it just helped characterize this particular movie as really being about 
the human story of Molly and what happened to her parents. We'd never find out what happened to the mom. When the dad is saying goodbye to her, he passes by a framed photo and we see that there's a woman standing next to them in the past. We can fill in that blank very easily and say, okay, two years ago she dies. I think the news crew reports that later, that she disappeared. And we never find out if that's connected to the unknown or not. But we do know that the dad disappears because he had to find these Pokemon who, I did a little digging here, what it is is that these Pokemon are rare and legendary because they never leave their own dimension. They rarely will come into this world and be seen. They don't want to be seen. They're shy and they live in an unknown universe. So for him to find the runes and to open that up means that he has been sucked into a place he should not return from. I thought he was either abducted or turned into the Entai or killed. Did they mention different dimensions in the movie? I didn't catch it. I think they visually showed it. I mean, when he was sucked into that portal, that to me said he was being sucked into another dimension. Yeah, they have a storybook and they, and you see at one point, it looks like lattice work. It's hard to describe, but almost like a swirling cloud. It has no corporal form. It just is sort of this amorphous, blobby realm. And we do see it from time to time. A portal will open up and that's where the 3D computer generated stuff is happening. And they show up and... I honestly thought Molly was going to become Batgirl or something because she's being taken care of now by her butler <laughs> in this mansion. Is that who that is? Yeah, some sort of manservant for sure. Like, it was the help. You're talking about David. Like, there's an old dude named David and Skylar, who is the assistant to the father, that just show up to basically tell her, you're alone in this world. I thought they were then getting in their car and driving away. I thought this <laughs> child was now being left unsupervised in a mansion with free access to her father's work to open his laptop and go to a different dimension. Going a little uh, Tomb Raider here a little bit. Yeah, that is very Tomb Raider. But yeah, I thought she was in the care of the butler. But yeah, she finds the runes. She's crying because she's an orphan now, which is a good reason to cry. And the tears hit the runes and the unknown show up in a swirling vortex of hell and start terraforming our earth or her house or something to be crystal right what these pokemon can do and i don't know if you play them in the game but i looked up they are playable and they are known as psychic type they play mind tricks basically and the way that they work is they meld with your wishes and so if it is her wish to be protected and to live in a fantasy realm they will oblige and Here's what I would say. If she's missing her father, they could just bring him back from their realm, right? <laughs> we don't have to make this like lava lion that you will call your father. We could just give you the real McCoy. It reminded me of Aslan, you know, because it kind of looked like a lion and the way it talked in that deep, sonorous voice. I, for some reason, was just thinking Chronicles of Narnia and Aslan. Yeah, I caught that vibe too a little bit. But I did get the sense, I mean, they drove it home really well that, yes, these things are doing the bidding of Molly as she wished. You know, Aslan and Ty kept saying that. But do we know why they were beholden to her? Is it because those tiles she was playing with opened it up and let them in? Yes, David and Skylar. I don't think they were there to take care of her. I think they were bringing back his artifacts from where he disappeared, left him on a table, and she opened up his laptop. She opened the tiles. 
she summoned them like an Ouija board or something. Her interaction in some way meant that they were drawn to her. Okay. And how old do you think she is? Because I'm, I mean, like, just to for people who didn't watch this movie and are listening, I'm thinking seven or eight. I mean, it's not like she's a teenage girl who could possibly exist on her own. This is very much a elementary school girl getting into her father's laptop and runes here. Yeah, I wouldn't think she would know how to make a PB&J. I, <laughs> I do not think that she will last 24 hours all alone in this world. Again, so much sympathy for these guys. Yeah, well, you're on your own. <laughs> well, based on Ash and them being 10 years old, I would say she's closer to four or five. Yes, she looks up to them as older kids, and we know Ash is 10. And speaking of Ash, it feels very television that we, like, fade to black and have a harsh cut to the Pokemon 3 movie title here. And yes, it was advertised in the States as Pokemon 3 the movie, but it says here in this credits, Spell of the Unknown. There's also Emperor of the Crystal Tower, which is really misleading. <laughs> There's no Emperor. No, and even the crystal tower, I mean, yes, the ground crystallizes, the Entei will continue to absorb windmills and flower fields and what have you. I don't know how to take that. I don't know if that could be curbed if you get to Molly. I just keep thinking about the party drug, and it's like, yes. if you could get to Molly. <laughs> you definitely could take Molly and probably enjoy this movie. Even that name has evolved, by the way. It's no longer called Molly. Mm, of course. MDMA, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yes, this is your opportunity to experience what I already have. Ash has moved on. Thank God he still has Bulbasaur. But yes, Charizard is long gone. They left each other probably about 10 episodes before this movie came out. He went to a dinosaur valley, and I have trouble characterizing it. It looks like he kicked him out, but he <laughs> tried to make it seem like it was for Charizard's own good and development that he stayed with his friends. And so he was kind of left behind. And I think if you were a fan of the TV show, you would be wanting to see him reunited. But where's Squirtle? Where's all the classic characters? Now we have new ones that just frankly aren't doing it for me. Totodile, Chikorita... Noctowl. It's funny because they meet up with this Lisa, who's also a Pokemon trainer, and this felt very much out of the game. I'm walking around. A Pokemon trainer is just standing here. She challenges me, and now we fight. I mean, I liked seeing her manky and... What? The thing that looks like it has four hands, it's standing oh, on two hands, okay, and it's I'm a sorry, big yeah. thing of fur. My dirty mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, were there tentacles? I don't recall her manky. Nice her manky. Yeah. Thanks, just had it stuffed last week. <laughs> but I recognized more of hers than his. But yes, when Pikachu comes out to battle this last amorphous blob... <laughs> It was like, okay, that looks like I actually got in a fight in one of the Pokemon games where my only Pokemon left alive was one that could not hurt nor be hurt by yes. the person I'm fighting. And I couldn't run away. It said, you are trapped here. It cast a spell. So I couldn't run away. And so I'm like, am I just in purgatory forever? Just dancing around. Like, I'm now having flashbacks to playing that card game. Where, like, I realized none of the people I was playing could actually do anything to hurt people. 
<laughs> eventually I used up all of his powers doing nothing, just having to pass the turn. And when he ran out of powers, he started just assaulting physically. And then I won the battle, but it took forever. That's what I was kind of thinking of here when Pikachu's lightning doesn't even touch this jelly bean creature. And Pikachu's cool. He's never going to get rid of Pikachu. They already had that episode where he tried to let him go. And I mean, this is the mascot for the whole company. He will never evolve. He will never change. He will always be exactly this yellow mouse. But I miss the old characters. I've seen enough of the first season and felt like the first season had more heart, had more going on, that now that we move to this very un-eccentric boring world all of these pokemon feel boring and the charm is off is all that i'm saying i'll agree that i don't know these pokemon as well because charizard and psyduck and all of those were in the first gen game i played and pokemon go and the card game so i've seen those again and again and again like i said i don't know the name of the jelly bean creature i don't know if i've encountered it anywhere else Quagsire, if it means anything for you. <laughs> I'm sure you just made somebody very happy who was like, why didn't you look it up? We saved ourselves an angry email. It is starting to suffer a little bit of Smurf syndrome, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, with, with Smurfs, you've had Papa Smurf. By the time they got to Baby Smurf, it was like, okay, you're running out of guys. Yep. We like Brainy Smurf, we like Papa Smurf, we like Jokey. When they went to the well, and literally, like, they went to a lake or something and pulled out the kids' Smurfs, it was over. Yeah. There are apparently now close to 900 Pokemon that they produced for the video game. You can't have us care about that many in a movie. You just need to limit it to an ongoing cast that we stay with. And if the idea is that you want to keep selling us the new ones and got to catch them all, and the old people don't matter anymore, I don't think that's the way to dramatically tell a story. I don't think that will endear us to Ash because there's not much about Ash or these human characters to like. Let me go with a different analogy on that though. Take the show ER. It stayed pretty strong in the ratings the whole time. Despite when it was over, there were no cast members who were there when it started. Mm -hmm. None at all. There was enough turnover. And now in animation, you could recast voices. You can keep characters and keep going with it. You're not hampered by contracts and aging and other things in people's lives. But I could see it where over time, Ash would replace his cast of characters over years, you know, one at a time. You know, one story is kind of played out. You've done all the jokes you can with them. You retire Charizard and you bring in the next one and then you have one evolve. And it's kind of like every time you lost a nurse and gained a doctor, you know, we lost Ross, but we gained the guy from Sarajevo. <laughs> but where they could get rid of George Clooney and replace him, I guess, but you're never going to get rid of Pikachu. Pikachu has always got to be front and center in this franchise. I agree completely. I think you could get rid of Ash. Pikachu mm. could like <laughs> find a new master more than you could get rid of Pikachu. Right. You don't want to feel like all they're doing is just selling you on slightly tweaked versions of things that you already caught. And that's kind of what I'm starting to feel. I'm seeing this like flamethrowing mole and being like, you're no Charmander. I just am not feeling it. But all right, that's my beef. On with the story. They walk to this new town to recoup Greenfield's Pokemon Center. And guess what? It's covered in crystallized flowers because this is where Molly is having her freak out. 
Has there ever been an episode where, like, we find out that Ash is predestined to always be in the worst possible place at the worst possible time? Well, I mean, or you could see it the most advantageous because he gets to make the news. And this is what will bring his mom and Professor Oak into the story as well. Okay, now I went down a weird path mentally because this movie was not all that engaging. (laughs) And I was wondering about when Ash's mom... It's like, oh, when I was a schoolgirl, I knew Professor Hale. And all of a sudden, I'm like, we've never seen Ash's dad. Right? I thought the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Your mind does create. You're right. In the absence of subtext, you will find it. I did try and imagine things that were more interesting than what was being presented to me. Well, we had a girl without a mother and a boy without a father and... Somehow the mother knew the father when they were young. And I'm like, are we going to find out Molly is Ash's sister or half-sister? Or is there something lost in translation? Is the Japanese version way weirder? And they're like, we just have to change the storyline for the American audience. I don't know. There is something to the fact that when Molly decides she needs a father, okay, she makes the storybook character that she loves her father, and then she needs a mother, this Entai is going to run off and specifically grab Delia because one time they hung out for a lunch. There's a bigger connection there to me in my mind, or needed to be. There's an opportunity to tell a more important story if it were a divorced parent or something like that. You could get into more real life kind of stuff, but I never feel like Pokemon wants to go too deep. Now, I understand from some research that if Ash were ever to age in the show, which he hasn't, eventually he would deal with his father. Has there been, in all the television you've waded through, any mention of the father? Never. In fact, I'm just appalled by Delia. I mean, the fact that this kid is wandering the countryside for years, (laughs) and she's just like, oh, they're reunited here. Like, she's driving to meet her long-lost school crush, and then, like, she sees her son. She's like, oh, I didn't know you would be here. Oh, yeah. She was so dismissive. It was so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your child, your 10-year-old boy that you haven't seen or taken care of. Yeah, he's just wandering the countryside fighting monsters. It's only been a few months. He's still 10. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Oh, hi, Ash. (laughs) Again, I could be judgy. I'm not a parent. Maybe this is how I would raise my kid. Yeah, go collect them all. Get out of here. But it's strange in a way that I haven't seen in American cartoons. They just wouldn't have a mother that detached. It is convenient that everybody gets there at the same time and Lisa's hanging around too. She's going to be in the background. Lisa has very little to do in this. The ones who have virtually nothing to do in this are Team Rocket who just pop up and there's a couple good jokes they get in, but I thought they would play a much bigger part in this when at the beginning we see them tracking Ash to this crystal area and everything. They really just... (laughs) are there to pop up and go, hey, we're in the movie too. I believe that's actually a joke at one point. They say, maybe we'll have a better part in the next movie. I mean, they know it. I did have to laugh though. James is like, I haven't seen this many strange letters since I placed a personal ad. That line stuck out to me (laughs) too. Oh, you're telling on yourself. I get it. He's like my favorite character in this whole cartoon anymore. It's him and Meowth. (laughs) He's the only one that's subversive. Again, you feel like somebody's doing something a little bit off note there, and it's fun to see that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't animation, I would think some behind-the-scenes 
thing was that these guys were contractually obligated to appear in every movie for some reason because they really have nothing to do and they're commenting on it so it just has to be for kids that are fans of the show to make it feel more like home to them while they're in the theater yeah i don't think i've seen an episode where they haven't appeared maybe like the first couple sometimes they're important to the storyline like they cause the problem sometimes they're just chasing after and making jokes but they are the comedic relief I'm just going to point out Brock was the surrogate father for 10 children. And then the dad came back and literally within five minutes, he said, okay, bye. And they're like, we have not heard from where how the children are doing. I worry about them at night. It keeps me up at night thinking about Brock's brothers and sisters and what might be happening. To them. <laughs> That's a movie that you probably won't be seeing made for children. <laughs> well, I don't know. Ryan Reynolds is in the live action movie coming up. It could take a dark turn. <laughs> Again, I don't even know why Misty and Brock do follow Ash around. Like, do they have dreams of their own or there are things they want to accomplish? But they basically are going to be here because Ash will need distractions while he tries to infiltrate this crystal tower. Again, I watched like six episodes of the TV series. So I got to see the introduction of Misty mm -hmm. and how, yeah, she's just a tag along really. Mm -hmm. And I got to see the introduction of Brock, but Brock did not want to be a Pokemon trainer very specifically. And now I see him ready to do battle. He's got his Pokemon. I think that they've gotten sucked up in the hype where like, they may know they're not going to be Daniel-san, but they're going to learn some karate and be the lackeys. But anyway, back to this movie. Yes, Delia's kidnapped. Ash is going to go in. I thought this Crystal Fortress was impenetrable. There's a scene, my favorite scene in the movie, is this bulldozer comes out of nowhere. I think it's just a redneck with a bulldozer. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it's like, I'm going to do this. Because I don't think he was sanctioned. Nobody's, <laughs> like, guarding him. He's not accompanied. If you had a bulldozer, wouldn't this be the time to break it out? <laughs> yeah, there's never going to be a better moment than crystal flowers are, like, coming up your driveway. <laughs> It made me think of that scene in Thor when everybody's trying to pull out the hammer and they're bringing the pickup trucks and the monster trucks. It's like, here comes this rando with a bulldozer. And its fate is the fate of everyone in this. Like, it tries to fix the problem and then just defeated, knocked over, crystallized. Is this stuff, like, if they were to touch it, would it turn them into crystals? They make a point of getting in by wading through water and they never touch this crystallization, but I don't know what would be the problem of just walking up to the front door and like just going in normally. Well, it's, I don't think there is a door. I think it's completely like a shell. I mean, they've left the sewer main open. I mean, again, they just kind of walk in. <laughs> the poop has to go somewhere. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but the bulldozer does set up what I think is a pretty cool part in this movie because we get to see Pokemon actually being useful and Ash actually kind of being a smart trainer, knowing, okay, I'm going to try to do the fire thing. And so he has, which Pokemon is it that can do the fire? It's a new one that I don't know yet, but has it shoot a wall of fire at this door and it makes a hole and they're like, all right, oh, and it closes right back up. So then he gets the idea to start it with fire and then keep it open with water and they all just kind of get shot in. I was like, okay, great. We get to see Pokemon working together and problem solving. Yeah, I mean, he uses Bulbasaur and another one to pull them up using their vine powers. You gotta think, these creatures have magical abilities that have far-reaching implications beyond 
making them fight. <laughs> you know, it's like, it is so human of us to find magical creatures that maybe Pokemon could fix the energy crisis and be the natural energy source we need by taking all the Pikachu and just plugging them in. But no, we're just going to make them fight. Okay, I promise <laughs> that's the controversy next week. We'll get to it. <laughs> but PETA does get involved. <laughs> But okay, they break into the Crystal Palace using their wits, and Team Rocket also makes it in just by banging down the door. They touch the crystal, they're fine. You're right. So it's not like a substance that will corrode you. And that would have been a way to play it. I do think there's something about the way that they're playing Molly that reminds me of this classic Twilight Zone episode. Do you know the one? It was also in the Twilight Zone movie where it was this little boy and all the people in the town had to like suck up to him because for some reason he had magic powers. He could make whatever he wants come to life. And like if you crossed him, then he like stuck one person in a cartoon and they got chopped up Looney Tunes style. And that section of that movie gave me so many nightmares growing up when he took away the one girl's mouth. Oh. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, now you've hit the memory for me. Yeah, I mean, they, they did it in black and white back in the 60s. It was a little bit more tame for the movie. They, of course, take it up a notch because they have the 80s, the special effects stuff going on. But it's the same basic premise, is that when you give children too much power, they can use it in very cruel and destructive ways. We should be afraid of Molly, right? Like, that would be the right instinct to play with a little. Even though she's a girl that's suffering, she doesn't realize she has the potential through that suffering to cause great harm here. And in fact, that is kind of what she's doing by destroying this beautiful landscape of Greenfield. Hey, I'm not sure if she's the one destroying it or if that's just something the unknown... I mean, that starts the moment the unknown show up before she ever makes a wish. So is she subconsciously doing it? B, I completely agree. If this were a Twilight Zone or anything aimed at adolescence or above... Tweens, even. Yeah, and air of danger would be appropriate but here she's just misguided she's lost in her fantasy land we need to wake her up her biggest flaw is that she's insecure about her age and so when she meets the kids she's going to wish that she was older and so she's going to become an adult yeah i'm gonna have to really dig deep because I don't remember the last time I envy. I mean, I had an older brother, and I always wanted to play with his older friends and to have that life. I can remember that, but I don't remember looking up to 10-year-olds. Like, that's like, wow, okay. They're making something for, yes, this is a, for an audience of four and five. And are they being served? Well, you're asking 40-year-old men. I, I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know that they're trying to spice it up and trying to give Misty and Brock something to do by having them be be the ones to fight her. Her fantasy, Molly really wants to be old enough to be a Pokemon trainer or, or you know, at least fight. And because Entei is so, I'll do whatever you say, he allows her to grow into an adult body and have anything that she can think of become Pokemon. Are these fights interesting? I don't think they're any better than what we've seen at the beginning or in any other episode of the show. I don't think they're legendary. It's even set up as a stall tactic while our heroes go off and try to break in. And it feels like a stall tactic. Like mm -hmm. there's nothing visually going on here that I was like, ooh. I got to go back to my childhood, though. 
you know what I keep equating this to is Transformers, where they'd try to sell me a new Transformer in each one, and there'd be the episode that introduced Insecticons or Constructicons or Area Bots, because that's the new toy that was hitting. What was exciting for me was seeing the new toys in animation. I wonder if for the Pokemon addicts, seeing the quote-unquote made-up Pokemon that we're seeing on screen for the first time. It's like, oh, look, it's that one. Yeah, see, I hopped off with Dinobots, and I think these might be the Dinobots for me because I just could not care about the made-up fake Pokemon in this battle. Me love Grimlock. Me not know what you talk about. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think it would be fun. I mean, I can remember playing some of those. I don't know if it was Street Fighter or what, but, it's, you know, sometimes when you're playing something cute and you really can kick someone's ass while still retaining that cute quality, that could be fun in a game. I can imagine being a teddy bear and fighting someone in a game and having a blast. Watching it as a slightly better than average animated adventure, I don't know that it's a blast. I suppose there's a little bit to the subversiveness of what they're setting up here is that her imagination is only going to produce cutesy things that are smaller, yet they're overpowering Brock's bigger rock monsters and whatnot. So there's a little bit of visual interest there, I guess, that you're not going to get. If I'm a huge Pokemon fan and I know each Pokemon's powers, I suppose there's a little bit of excitement in not knowing what these new things are capable of. And here's how deep it goes. I have ended up on... Bulbapedia, mm -hmm. and this is a crazy deep wiki for all things Pokemon. Oh yeah, it's like my homepage now. I go there all the time. <laughs> and it gets so deep that like when it says major events in this movie, it's here are three major events in this movie. Sure. None of them are a Crystal Palace. Okay. Major event. Brock's Zubat is revealed to know wing attack. Ooh. <laughs> Misty's Star You is revealed to know Rapid Spin. Okay. And Ash's Charizard briefly returns from the Charcific Valley. <laughs> that would be a big deal. Again, they had a whole episode where, again, they it really felt like I don't know. It was almost cruel. I was actually angry at Ash in the way that he was like, well, you just need to stay here. And, you know, he didn't want to do it. And Charizard didn't want to be left behind. But for some reason, they broke up. And so the idea that they would come back in a movie feels worthy of a Pokemon movie. It feels like that should be a thing. It takes a while for him to get involved. He sees it on the news. We do have one strange, if you haven't been watching the show, moment of a female Charizard with a bow on her head watching the news with another girl named Lisa. She spells it with a Z. It's not the same one as the beginning, not to confuse you. But Lisa and... Charla are watching the news about Ash's misfortune because Delia, his mom, who he never pays attention to, is now been taken away. I don't know how that's different for him than any other day. <laughs> But now he wants her back. I want what I can't have, I guess. Well, he left his mom in the care of Mr. Mime to protect her. Mr. Mime isn't around anymore, so you got to go rescue the mom. And what is happening with Delia? We do cut back and we find out that not only is Molly this adult Pokemon trainer, but she is a sleeping five-year-old child in the lap of Delia. Delia has been hypnotized. We did see that Entei did something with his eyes. When he grabbed her, she kind of fainted on him. You know, anime, they have big eyes. So I don't know whether she's hypnotized this whole time or whether she's playing along because she knows this child. 
the eyes return to normal when she sees Ash on television. Okay. And so she breaks the spell and then just plays along yes. after that point. But you can see her break free of the mind control when she sees her actual son on television coming to rescue her. Right. And this is actually where Molly becomes a way less sympathetic character. Because up until now, we could go along with the idea that she's just a child who just wants a family, doesn't want to be left alone, and is living in this fantasy land. But she has it laid out for her right here that this is not her mother. This is the son that needs his mother. Mm -hmm. And Molly says... Yeah, no. <laughs> Children, particularly a five-year-old, they tend to be self-involved. I mean, they're not always so aware of what other people's needs are. I mean, there is sharing. There can be compassionate children. But by and large, it feels natural that a five-year-old would have some resistance, particularly since she is alone in a mansion. The expectation is she is going to live totally alone now. <laughs> it's so cruel. I can imagine that she would freak out. And I do think what's interesting about this movie and what is compelling is that it allows a child to work through the process of grief up until the point that they take that off the table. But up to a point, it's about a child that has to deal with death or parental absence. And that is a relatable conflict that has real world weight. And this movie gives some consideration to it. Here's where I think Ash actually matters is it's when Ash and Molly finally encounter each other that Ash breaks through Molly's veneer and makes her realize that all this fighting is bad because they're like Pokemon fight, but they don't hurt each other. Even though I saw a Mankey get caught on fire earlier, I guess that's okay because it's all, again, very Looney Tunes. He just looks charred and gets sucked back into his ball but here when things get too brutal it's ash who points out to molly this isn't right and gets molly to realize the things she's been wishing for are hurting people if ash wasn't here you could say the entire world could become crystal unknown Okay, I was wondering when you were going to bring up what he does. I saw she was more influenced by Misty because she had this larger adult persona that she fantasized about being. And then when she found out Misty at her age, presumably 10, was a Pokemon trainer, she allowed herself to shrink back to being a child. I thought she was learning about what it would be to have these fantasies in the real world. She doesn't have to live wrapped up into a world of fantasy. They all kind of work on her. I mean, Brock ends up saying some motivational speeches. By the end of it, they're all trying to get inside her head and tell her that reality is better than fantasy. I, again, they're telling this to a girl that has no parents and no source of income and who they will leave and walk <laughs> off to Johto at the end. <laughs> Uh, she can rent out that house. I mean, she'll, she'll make some money. <laughs> yeah, with that much money, she should have more friends. Maybe not the right friends, but there would be someone to come along to party with her. And I do get freaked out when she, like, turns her house into this M.C. Escher staircase of death. As somebody with a little bit of a fear of heights, those stairs, I'd just be like, I'm standing still. Uh, can I sit down and not fall between the stairs? <laughs> Again, I think the animation is... Exciting is not the right word because, again, they always want to pull back from getting too overstimulating. But there is something to the grandiosity of the way that this whole mansion explodes and shards and refracts. There is 
big drama to this ending in a way that it feels more epic than when we were having the apocalypse last week. The color palette alone is much more vibrant. I feel like the last couple movies we've ended our main battle scenes in like dull grays and screens of white and light blue. So having this sharp contrast of crystals popping out of the ground in deep blues and the ground being covered in this pinkish purple slate looking stuff, it's catching my eye a lot more than the previous installments. With all the crystals, you're thinking a little crystal meth too. There is just something kind of druggy about the imagery, but not too much. I don't want to oversell that. I don't think it has huge trip appeal. I don't think teens would enjoy taking a tab and watching this the way that they did Teletubbies. No, I do want to just say, though, it is better looking than the previous ones. And despite what I'm saying about the story, I'm going with this in almost like a Scooby-Doo kind of way, where like the Scooby gang comes across some mystery. They're just traveling across the country, getting stoned, and they end up in a haunted mansion and they go in and they solve the problems of the haunted mansion and then drive the mystery machine away. I feel this movie is working on that level. And so when I'm watching it, I'm like, all right, this story point makes no sense. This story point makes no sense. But the overall emotional arcs of the characters, I'm following completely. It's less confusing than the last one. Sure. So it's an easy ride is how I describe it. Yeah. I, when you get something that's like this, you always want more or wish for better. Where I would focus is what's the big deal about Intei? I know that Molly loves Entei. I know that she turned him into an avatar for her missing father, who, again, the unknown could just deliver to her. What about saying goodbye to him is so hard because, boy, they just drag this all out, and she will get her father back as soon as Entei is gone. It's not like she learns at the end of this the hard realities of living in the real world. Well, she doesn't get her father back like that moment. It's not like he transforms or trades places with her father. No, Intei's got to say goodbye like 90 times and, <laughs> and do like, I mean, it takes longer than the share farewell tour to get that thing <laughs> off the screen. It had become her protector. It was very quick, but it had become her protector. Yes, and we've kind of skimmed over it, but it really kicked the ass of Charizard. I mean, that would be a very exciting fight if you loved Charizard. To see him come back and then end up under the foot of Entei, you would fear Entei because he shouldn't have been able to beat Charizard. Yeah, my feeling would be the reason you write Charizard off is because he's so powerful. He's a freaking fire-breathing dragon, and that's really strong and so to see him come in here you're like okay the fire breathing dragon has shown up they win the day and then when Entai takes him down it's like oh even your big guns have fallen right the idea is that they have to get to molly if all of this is happening because of molly's resistance to reality they have to speak some common sense to her and she needs to snap out of it and so all that i would ask is is it right that she gets both her dad and her mom back wouldn't it be more true, more real, if reality is what we're facing, that she accepts that she doesn't have at least one of those? I am pissed that the mother returns. The fact that there was no talk of the mother, the fact that I'm like, is that the mother? I had to check Wiki because I didn't connect the photo on the wall with this woman walking in. How does the father get back? How does the mother get back? And the fact that none of this is explained, actually, I was in recommend territory and then this came while the credits were rolling mm -hmm. and now i'm like wait a sec 
I'm on the fence now. Not only does it get mother and father back, they got <laughs> teddy bear Pokemon. It's got I'm like the thing that she made up that doesn't exist that all the kids were like, you can't use that. That's not a real Pokemon. It's walking out the <laughs> door too. Like you've contradicted yourself. You're talking out of both sides of your mouth saying that children have to face realities and grow up, but let's make it a fantasy for them. This is circular and annoying. Yeah, it really harms this movie. If I had turned it off the moment credits started to roll, mm. I would actually like this movie better. Yeah, agreed. And it's easy to do. You can do that. That's no problem. 70 <laughs> minutes and click. <laughs> well, after you hit click, what's the verdict? Justin Stewart, do you choose recommend or not recommend? Justin. I'm struggling with this series because the more <laughs> I watch it, the more I, I am starting to understand this world. But what I'm not understanding is the stories they're trying to tell us. Stuart, you brought it up a little bit when we were talking about the shorts. It's like, if you're not going to just be slapstick and well-done comedy, then maybe toss a moral in there. And I guess that's what I'm looking for in these bigger movies is a moral. And Arnie, you just kind of hit it on the head there. It's like, what moral did we take away from this if at the end of this, we're trying to say, hey, dreaming is good, but only to a certain point because you have to deal with reality. And sometimes that even means a altered reality where a mother all of a sudden just pops back into existence for no discernible reason. So I'm struggling to even pull a moral that a nine-year-old watching this can take away. So what we end up watching here is really long commercials for products that... Obviously, we're in our 40s. These products don't interest me. You're not buying them at any rate. I'm not buying them, but I can see how this would work and how it has worked for such a long time. I just wish that the supplemental material, which are these movies, would be more engaging in, in a broader sense. If, if Pokemon's going to be this phenomenon that has engulfed the globe for the last 20 years, coming in blind, I was hoping there'd be more substance here. I'm finding out that there's really not it's void of a lot of stuff. So having said all of that, I can only judge these against one another. And out of the three we've watched, this one feels a little more fresh. It looks a little bit better. It's still to not recommend, but if I had to watch any of these three over again, I'd probably come back to this one just because it's easier to get through and prettier to look at. So that's about the best I can say for Pokemon 3. Stuart. Yeah, I mean, I got a haiku here, but just to jump in on that, when I played the card game, I realized that it wasn't about the anime. That all of this that we're talking about and reviewing is not the phenomenon. The phenomenon are the games. I'm presuming the video games are good and that card game, and that's where the addiction is. And then this is just kind of maybe one notch more important than the lunch pail. Anyway, to my haiku. To know the unknown proves to be impossible. They have no motive. Molly would be cool, if her anger caused great harm, not crystal flower. How I wish to see this material handled like Miyazaki. Spirit Away told the same orphan story with much more nuance. Only we children who haven't trained Pokemon will catch green arrows. So it's a green arrow for we children. I feel like we, we need some beating it snapping. Yeah, I want a flute. <laughs> I just want a flute. And I like a Kyoto, yeah, kind of environment. Can someone give me a kimono? <laughs> I can get you a kimono easier than I can get you a flute tune. Yeah, I don't understand your haiku, Stuart. I'm glad you translated that to Green Arrow at the end. For me, I was completely in Green Arrow territory because 
I was thinking the last one was so darn confusing and all over the map, quite literally setting up things that never occurred and too many people with different motivations and Ash just stumbling in to be the chosen one, which never influences anything at all. And those crystal balls. I mean, there were so many things that hurt my head with Pokemon 2 that when Pokemon 3 was simply flavorless and yes i gotta judge this for what it is i have to judge this like along the time that i was babysitting a girl and took her to see the tigger movie in theaters i mean this is the level of which i'm rating the story could be great i mean again spirited away miyazaki more or less the same movie a terrific film but yes you do have to think of the audience yeah and the first movie I recommended legitimately just because of the moral ambiguity of Mewtwo, and I thought that was a darker story than I expected. Here, I'm giving it a conditional green arrow of that if you like this kind of stuff, this one is good enough. You know, it's a weak recommend. It was actually a stronger recommend until that pisser of a stinger that just undermines everything. I couldn't believe they brought back father and mother. It is undeserved. It is unset up. I almost went not recommend because it's not like I ever felt strongly like this was great. <laughs> that was enough to piss me off to almost red arrow wit, but still it's fine. It didn't hurt me. I'll green arrow it. You know, when I want the steak, I want the steak. When I want the hamburger, I want the hamburger. Here, I'm getting cotton candy. There's nothing in it that is really good for me or that I even like. I hate cotton candy. <laughs> I do. It's just sticky crap. <laughs> if but, you keep talking, eventually you're going to not recommend this thing. Why don't you just stop? <laughs> but yet, it can go down easy if I'm stuck at a carnival. So recommend. <laughs> <laughs> All right, three very emphatic fans here. Happy to move on. Pokemon Forever. Well, this next one is going to be different. Pokemon 3 was the last Pokemon movie written by Takeshi Shudo. He had been the main Pokemon story writer for all the movies and a lot of the TV show, but he was struggling with illness and he retired from writing Pokemon movies. So we're going to have a totally new creative impulse from here on out. What I noticed was this one was by Takeshi Shudo and Hideki Sonata, and Sonata will return later. Keep it going. And of course, again, this will be distributed not by Warner Brothers, but by the real pocket monster, Harvey Weinstein, Miramax, Ooh. next week. <laughs> I can't wait. And in the meantime, if you love this movie, I know you're going to want to see Clint Eastwood in the Wild West for our Friday Silver Level series, The Man With No Name, we're at for a few dollars more. If you think it's schizophrenic, how do you think we feel? We are literally recording these in parallel. <laughs> We're about to say game over on this, and then... Yeah, I, like, well, like, I can't tell you how bizarre it is to go from one to the next. I actually watch these two as a strange double feature. Mm. <laughs> We're nothing if not diverse. And if you can join us, it's a very exciting series to do. We've gone back before. Last year, we did it with the Godfather trilogy. This is a contemporary series in which, yes, Clint Eastwood really became a movie star once he went to Italy and filmed these spaghetti westerns. Fistful of Dollars came out last week. 
for a few dollars more this week and the good and the bad and the ugly next week. So we hope you can join us. It's a silver level donation. And I'm honestly more excited than I can put into words for the gold level donation that's starting in just a few weeks, summer of 89, which is also going to include the platinum level of Lethal Weapon. Head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate to find out all the details of all the movies. But this is really a fun donation drive run this time. It's keeping me sane while it looks like I'm stuck watching Pokemon forever. I still love it. (laughs) And so thank you to everyone who's donated. Thank you to everyone who listens to our show. We really appreciate you. And Justin Stewart, thank you for playing with me. Until next time, I'm taking my Pokeballs and going home. Game over. Pikachu. I know we did the right thing, Jesse, and it feels great. Well, this is it then. Oh. Let's not say goodbye. Let's just say we're gonna die. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A celebration of the harmony between humans and Pokemon. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Thank you all for everything. Maybe I'll see you again. Someday. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Case closed, but still open until I solve it. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. I could use pants. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. There's another credit on Pikachu's charge account. We've got to grab it. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Take the treasure and put it there. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I placed a personal ad. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Yeah, you're right. I can do it. I'm the chosen one. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's always the hero. We're always a zero. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Humans may have created me, but they will never enslave me. This cannot be my destiny. Now playing credits read by Brock. Did you just understand me? Oh my god! You can understand me! Stop! I've been so lonely! The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts. 
and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. That's a twist. That's very twisty. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. He's saying you can shove it. What? I can shove it? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Listen up. We got ways to make you talk. Or mine. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I know you can't understand me, but I will electrocute you. But once a happy ending, Team Rock is signing off again. <laughs> or for twenty nine ninety nine, I can get the latest pokey. Or for twenty nine ninety nine, or for fifty nine ninety nine, I can get the latest Pokemon game. Twenty nine ninety nine. I was like, really? <laughs> That's when I was twelve. <laughs> <laughs> what was the movie where they have to? Uh, they found fulfillment by manually masturbating animals. Clerks. <laughs> oh, I never saw it. <laughs> they did that in Clerks? <laughs> they were talking about careers and how unfulfilling they were talking jobs about were. It. Okay. And she said <laughs> I she... was like, they were actually film scenes. Okay, no. Well, Clerks 2 did involve a donkey show. Mm. And they of did film they did. scenes. <laughs> I can't believe it. We're going to have to watch Angry Birds. Don't tell me this while we're in the middle of the Pokey Marathon. <laughs> I won't even mention Ratchet and Clank. We're watching so much animated stuff this year. Sonic the Hedgehog. I think it's going to be animated. I can't imagine the poor actor that would have to put on blue quills if he's not. But. No, but like Detective Pikachu. Yeah. I mean, it could be a CGI Sonic with humans. Yeah, I, I've not dug deep enough to find out. I know it's coming out this Thanksgiving. All I know about Sonic is a couple posters were leaked and they were major Photoshop fails, but we'll talk about that when we get there. We'll get there. And I do love that game. I look forward to playing a few Sonic games again. In the games, there are teams. And Pokemon Ultra Sun, there is this hysterical urban stereotype of a white kid who comes in and is like, yo, 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 I'm gonna beat you. And just like making the hand motions and acting like Eminem and dressed in like a skull cap and all black. He's not team rocket. He's team something else, but he's team white stereotype. <laughs> you know, it's just really, really uncomfortable. But there are these thugs running around trying to beat me up. And then every time I beat them, they're like, dang, you good. Now, you know, we, we that'll be another Pokemon controversy we could get to. Yeah, the racial stereotyping. It's been a problem, and they, they will eventually get a black friend. I don't know if it solves the problem. <laughs> I once bought a pan flute. Those things are hard. I failed at the flute. I tried so hard. 
Did you have a Zamfir phase there, Arnie? <laughs> we were going to do this thing, Pan Flute Hero, as like a commercial on Swan when Guitar Hero was all the rage. <laughs> I was going to take Guitar Hero buttons and put it on a pan flute. <laughs> and then I was going to like do some pan flute songs. And then it turned out I just couldn't play the <laughs> pan flute. <laughs> there was Guitar Hero and Rock Band. Pan, I mean, we're talking early days of Swan. We were planning a Pan Flute Hero commercial. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>